It's time for Drive-By Theology with Dr. Steve Lawson and Todd Friel. This must be some form of clerical error. Hello and welcome to Lecture 2 of Drive-By Theology with Dr. Can I just call you Dr. Metaphor? Yes, go ahead. (laughs) But you gave me a look that said don't. (laughs) Dr. Steve Lawson, talking about uh, this must be some sort of an error, bibliology as the first system of theology has to be wrong because to my little pea brain, I'm thinking, no, we should be studying God first. We should study Jesus first or salvation. Why is bibliology our first actual systematic theology? Because we cannot know God apart from the Bible. And what we know about God in a redemptive fashion is found in the Scripture itself. There is general revelation that God has made himself known through creation and providence and history. But if we are to actually know more than just about God but know God himself, it's in the Bible. So we have to start with the Bible. Yeah, well, here's your problem. Among other things, you are a bibliophile. You just worship the Bible. No, I love the Bible. I delight in the Bible, but the Bible is what leads me to know God and to worship God. The more I learn about God in the Bible, it leads me to a a higher view and higher worship of this God. And without studying the Bible first, we're going to goof up everything else. Absolutely. When I read all of the historic creeds, the Baptist Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, I remember the first time going through those and going, well, what are they, why do they keep putting the Bible first? But it makes sense. You can't get anything right about God if you don't get the Bible right first. Everything so, starts with the Scripture. So this isn't we worship the Bible. No, we worship the God contained in the Bible. And if we don't get first things first, everything else is going to be a hash. Absolutely. All right, now— We're going to use the term, the Bible, as the Word of God. This should not panic anybody, but there are other words of God, if you will. What are they? Certainly. Well, first of all, Jesus Christ is referred to as the Word of God, which means he is the revelation of God to us. When we see Christ, we see what God is like. Uh, There is also the verbal or spoken Word of God, such as when God said, let there be light. And there was light, and so there are also God's revelations of himself in words. Um, Daniel, the handwriting on the wall, God is revealing himself. God is speaking to man. Uh, God speaks in dreams and visions in the Old Testament. Again, the book of Daniel, for example. All of those are vehicles by which God has spoken to man. But when we use the term, the Word of God, we're talking about that book we have bound in fake leather. Absolutely, we are. Now, were there other words that God spoke throughout the ages that are not recorded in the Bible? Of course. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of John, it says, if everything that Jesus said would be recorded in written form, all the books of the world could not contain it. And were there messages that were given to the Old Testament prophets? For instance, Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 20, I will raise up a prophet from among the countrymen like you. So we had Moses, but we had many other prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the minor prophets. Did they say other messages from God that we don't have in the Bible? Yes. Why aren't they in there? Uh, Because the Spirit of God, who is the author, the primary author of Scripture, has purposely selected everything he wants us to have in Scripture. So in other words, the Bible is sufficient. 
which is one of the categories that we are going to tackle with the term bibliology, the study of God's Word. So let's jump into that right now. The first term is revelation, that this is God's Word. Now, As is always the case, when we do systematic theology, we want to grab all of the Bible verses that talk about a particular subject to draw our conclusion. Our conclusion for our first subject on Bibliology is revelation, that this is the Word of God. What Bible verse might you run to first that says that we've even got that straight, that the Bible is the Word of God? Well, I would begin with uh, Hebrews 1, verse 1 and following. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, and in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. God is a speaking God, and he has spoken to the prophets, he has spoken to the apostles, and he has spoken to and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we conclude that the Bible is the revealed Word of God, because Hebrews 1 tells us so, and then it was pointing really to the Old Testament, but showing that there's a correlation to the New Testament with Jesus speaking for God. Sure. Over 400 times in the Old Testament, it says, thus says the Lord. It's painfully clear that the Bible contains the Word of God. Theologians have said that when the Bible speaks, God speaks, that the Bible is the very voice of God, the inaudible voice of God. Would you please go through those 419 verses for <laughs> But I, really, It's painfully clear. Thus says the Lord, the Bible is the revealed word of God. For instance, Moses spoke the words of God in Exodus 4, 10 through 16. God said, I will give you the words to speak. Exodus 7, 1 through 4. The Lord said to Moses, I will make you God to Pharaoh. In other words, you as a prophet will be speaking my words. Obviously, Moses was not God, but he was the representative of God. So what Moses said as his ordained prophet is what God says. He was the mouthpiece for God. Numbers 12, 6 through 8, Deuteronomy 18, 14 through 21, 1 Kings 14, 18. All Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now that's a name that's available if you have a son and you want something unique, not many Ahijahs out there. The Dugars might take that if it began with a J. But the point is, Ahijah, somebody that we don't really even remember, was a prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. Well, another would be Habakkuk 2, verses 2 and following. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. All of this is direct revelation from God to the prophet Habakkuk. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10, Jeremiah 36, 2, 4, 6, 27, 28. The Old Testament makes it clear God spoke a lot, but only the words that we need for all time in the sufficient word of God are recorded in that leather-bound book. Yes, God superintended the entire process such that everything God wanted us to know, he has put into this book. That's the Old Testament. Does the New Testament also speak about itself being the revealed Word of God? Absolutely. Uh, Jesus, for example, in Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3. Jesus acknowledges that the Bible in the Old Testament 
is the Word of God, and this now is the bridge to the New Testament. And we also see Matthew five seventeen through 18, Luke 16, 17. It is written, Jesus regularly said, it is written, quoting the Old Testament as the revealed Word of God. We talked about John five thirty nine when Jesus pointed out to the Bible scholars that the Bible in the Old Testament was actually about him, revealing him as God, Luke 24, 44. But are, do we have any Bible verses in the New Testament where the writer says that what you're reading from my pen is the revealed word of God? Well, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul commends the Thessalonians that you have received this letter not as merely the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God. And perhaps the clearest verse that we have where the New Testament writer identifies that what you're reading is the revealed word of God is in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some hard things to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, nothing new under the sun, as they do also the rest of Scripture. Boom! That should be the end of it. Well, Peter acknowledges that what Paul wrote in all of his letters is Scripture. And and so they said about each other that he's actually writing the Bible for you. Yes. So the New Testament affirms that what we are dealing with here is the revealed Word of God. 1 Corinthians 7, 12, 1 Corinthians 14, 37, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15, Revelation 22, 18, and 19, perhaps another Hallmark book. If anybody adds to this book, yikes, he's in hot water because this book, and by extension, all of the inspired books of the Bible, are the Word of God, the only Word of God, and anybody who says they got a new word from God is a liar. If, if it's new, it's not true. So the books that we have in our Bible, 66 of them, are the revealed Word of God. Yes. And last, but certainly not least, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be equipped for every good work. There's a little hint about the sufficiency of the Bible. Yes. But also that this is, this is God's Word we're talking about here. So for all of the people who say, I wish God would just talk to me. You would answer them by saying, read your Bible. That's pretty much it. And if you want to hear the voice of God, read it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) That is the revelation of God. Another category underneath bibliology would be the inspiration of God. Technically, what does the word inspiration mean? It means breathed out by God. It's a Greek word that just means uh, that God has breathed out Scripture. It's really technically expiration, not inspiration. God didn't breathe uh, something unique into a book that's already there. He breathed out his very words, and they were recorded by the apostles and prophets. Now, there are some other holy books where God basically just uses the human being like a pen as an instrument, where they just write down, Muhammad wrote down, or Joseph Smith wrote down exactly what God dictated, like they were just like a secretary. Is that what the New Testament and Old Testament writers were? No. 
God used their personalities, God used their intellect, God used their life experiences and their backgrounds such that each biblical author would uniquely write with his own style, um, such that when you read John, he's different from Paul, who's different from Peter. Nevertheless, everything that they wrote was the very word of God, and God had prepared them throughout their entire life with all of the influences that would come upon them, such that they would write what they did in just the manner that they did. And we heard about that term, inspiration, in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, that Scripture is inspired by God. So that's why you have these different styles. They're inspired, but they weren't used like they were in some sort of mindless stupor, as an amanuensis just dictating their own personalities, levels of Greek, their, their, their life experience, all of that, but exactly what God wanted them to say without violating their personality. Exactly. A word that you could use is God superintended the entire process. Starting with the Old Testament, what verses say what you're saying it says? Well, Deuteronomy 31, 9, and then 24 to 26 in that same chapter. Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priest. So God told it, spoke to him, and then Moses wrote it down and gave it to the priest. Joshua 24, 25 through 26. Joshua made a covenant with the people and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. Joshua wrote down the Word of God, the law of God. Other Old Testament verses. Well, there would be 1 Kings 14, 18, uh, Jeremiah 37, 2, Zechariah 7, verse 7. All of these say the very same. And then in the New Testament, Peter reminds us of what the Old Testament said about itself. In 2 Peter 1, 20, know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation unless you watch religious programming on cable TV, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, this is where our systems can kind of jump over into one another. The Old Testament, this is what Peter was talking about, the Old Mm -hmm. Testament was breathed out by God, but by extension, this also applies to the New Testament books because Peter and Paul identified this as being the Bible itself. When Peter said, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, the Greek language helps us here. Very much so. It's the same word that's used in Acts 27, 15 to talk about the ship that Paul was on as he was headed to Rome. The wind overpowered the ship and took it, blew it into a particular direction. In the same way, God the Holy Spirit, who's represented as wind, blew into the lives of these biblical authors and directed them to write what they did infallibly. Without violating their personality. Hence, different styles of of authorship because they wrote the Word of God with their personalities intact and not as robots. Yes, but everything they wrote was inerrant and infallible. Now, with that, that's, that's that was a lot of... We did two systems there, Revelation and inspiration. From that, we can draw some conclusions, like if this book is inspired by God, then all of the Bible is inspired. Every every single jot, tittle, everything in there is inspired by God. Yes, it is all proceeded from the mouth of God. So when we read the Bible, then, we are actually hearing from God himself. 
Yes, so the entire Bible is to be received by faith into our lives. So that's all cool, but so what? We just learned two big fancy terms, revelation and inspiration, but without any sort of application, why did we need to learn any of that? Well, I think it begins with humility, that we would all yield our lives under the authority of God's Word, that God's Word has the right to direct our lives and to point us into the will of God. So therefore, we should be under the authority of Scripture. There should be reverence in our heart because as God speaks, uh, that should cause us to sit up straight in our seat, quite frankly, and to have greatest respect for the Word of God. This is God speaking to me. Uh, We should have great joy because when we have the Word of God, Uh, The truth is made known to us, the way of salvation, the way of God's will, and we can rejoice in this. Uh, There's great comfort in times of greatest difficulty in life as we look and see the promises of God that we can cling to to take us through very difficult times in our lives. Uh, God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It leads us in this dark age into the path that God has chosen for us. Uh, This scripture, we should long for it, and as we desire it and take it into our lives, it causes us to grow into Christ's likeness. That's very good, that I can become more and more like Jesus Christ as I appropriate the Word of God into my life. And two other, I think, very, very practical applications, knowing that this book that we have is actually from God himself, that should tell us that doing sermons based on movies is a really good idea. (laughs) It's a horrible idea. (laughs) Why would you want that when you've got this? The only thing the preacher has to say is the Word of God. Everything else is superfluous at best. There is only one primary text, and we could add this word, the exclusivity of the Word of God that we are to preach the Word, as Paul said to Timothy, and that we should take the Bible and teach it and proclaim it. And I think I think another genuine application from this is that as we look at the world, which appears to be getting wonkier by the second, and we hear arguments that the Bible is stupid and you people are dumb, you're dims, we're brights, it's a 2,000-year-old book— We should not be embarrassed. We should not be ashamed. We should recognize this is the only book with power. And because of that, we don't shrink into the shadows and we don't just start arguing from reason, logic, and statistics, but we hold up the word of God and say, thus says the Lord. This was lecture number two of Drive-By Theology.